Hi, I'm Sheldon McLeod, and you're listening to Frequency. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency Podcast. I'm always happy to hang out with my good friend, Joe, who's four hours back from me. So usually when we get to talk, um, it's er it's early in the evening for me and it's only late afternoon for you. That's right. But it looks like it's sunshine outside there. We don't have that here in PEI. Well, I would. I mean, okay. when you say sunshine, do you mean that the, the there's blue and you can see the sun or do you mean that it's not dark? I don't know. Well, I mean, we, we video Skype these things and I see a big glow from your window. Oh, yeah. And it, it's shining on your head a bit. Oh, that could just be a lamp. Uh, that is. There's a lamp right here, right above my head. <laughs> it's great. I wasn't mocking you for your lack of hair. <laughs> I, I was. I was uh, because I have to move the camera just right so that the and I'm not kidding. So that the glare from my own like little mini image of me doesn't hit me in the eyes. The glare off my head. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's great getting older. It's well, awesome. I was sort of um, lamenting this morning because I usually can roll right out of bed and, and leave the house. I, I, you know, I shower at night. I get ready. I have my clothes at the side of the bed and I can just go. And this morning I had to go pretty early to drive for a number of hours to an event. And I realized age does creep up on you when you have to get up early and, and then travel. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I could do like an all day, all night travel trip anymore. We used to do that from Ontario to PEI, which is like 22 hours of driving. I don't know if I could do that anymore. Well, there's a certain, it's not that you couldn't, it's that you won't. See, to me, that's True. the difference is that I, I just, for me, I, I'm like, why? Why I'm I'm old enough at this point? Not and it's not not an age question. It's a question of discernment. Is this something that I really need to do? And if so, what are the circumstances that led to this necessity that I can avoid in the future? <laughs> so you're saying that we we just have applied wisdom now. That's correct. That's correct. I I hmm. I, I I believe, and I've come to this conclusion many times, and I still have to remember is that. I, I think there's a certain point in time where we just kind of give up, you know, um, yeah. but, but uh, then when I've like re-engaged, I found, oh, I haven't lost as much as I thought I'd lost. I was just not engaged, you know, yeah. uh, and yeah. so um, like I was 215 and then I got down to like 170 in terms of weight and, and um, I'm like, I never thought. I couldn't imagine being 170. Well, I just. I thought I, I'll never get back there. That was, you know, where I was on cruise ships. It was between 170, 180, great shape. I thought, well, I'll never be there again. Let's just give up. And then, you know, through exercise and diet, I got there and I maintained it for a year. And then I discovered Swedish fish. And then it all went down the tubes. <laughs> so what makes fish more significant that they're Swedish? Um, they're candy. <laughs> Do you know okay. what Swedish fish are? I have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Look them no. up, Swedish fish. They're just the, there's the, the, these little red candies, like uh, you know, jelly candies, um, and okay. they kind of have a cherry flavor to them, and they're like you know, like little gummies. And uh, I love I love gummies. Well, don't discover these. And I, 
because they're a fat-free food. I've just never food. seen them. They, they advertise. It's a fat-free <laughs> food. It's true. There is no fat in them. It's just all sugar. And yeah. then I would just be bored on my commute, and I would have a little bag of them, and I would just rah, rah, hmm. rah, and eat them. And then all of a sudden, I went from maintaining a nice like 178 to I'm like 195. And I went, well, what happened, Swedish fish? And and. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't know. How did we get on that? Uh, the, the really funny thing is, as you're saying that, I'm realizing I have a pocket full of Easter candy eggs. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. They were my, they were my um, little snack watching a movie the other night, and they were still in my hoodie. So I guess I'm guilty. Well, see, my snacks lately have been Ricola. Little oh, cough yeah. drops. I'll just have those in my yep. pocket. And I'm like, if I feel like a piece of candy, I'll take a Ricola. And I'll be like, okay, well, I got to deal with this for a while. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, well, I don't want to eat anything else because it's going to taste awful after having just eaten a Ricola. It's, I find that actually works relatively well for me. <laughs> I'm sorry I took us down yeah, this well, road. Maybe we can, where are we at? We're like five minutes in. So maybe we can <laughs> figure funny. out who, who are we interviewing today? Because I know we had two bass players yeah. like queued up, which I think is cool. Yeah. Well, um, this this interview, uh, we had the opportunity to connect with Norm Stockton. Uh, if you've never heard of Norm Stockton in the Christian music realm before, I'm I'm shocked, um, or at least have seen him. Uh, he's been on the platform with most major artists, uh, not just Christian artists. He plays with a lot of artists. Um, in the interview, he names some of them. I'll leave it to that. But um, he's he's most notable to have played with Lincoln Brewster. Oh, I have no excellent. idea why that didn't come to mind. Now, now you ruined it by saying you don't know why it didn't come to mind. So just for the sake of context, as I'm editing this later, <laughs> is that Dan couldn't remember Lincoln Brewster's name. By the way, Lincoln Brewster's got a new album coming out shortly. So uh, make sure you check. This out is that. awful. Yeah, this is this is great. I think this, and you put a candy. This in is your an mouth edited too, episode. So that's good. <laughs> so no, we're not editing this. We don't edit our podcast anymore. <laughs> Because that's why people listen to us, because of our inept ineptitude. Ineptitude. Well, and and chocolate is the worst. And I just pop one of those little things in my mouth because I'm like, well, it's in my hand now. I got to eat it. And it stuck to my tooth. Yeah. So, folks, the quality mm -hmm. is almost six years down the road. And it it feels like we peaked. And uh, and now and now he's going <laughs> to Dan's going to take a sip out of whatever liquid he's got in his hand so we can wash that. It's just it's just tetley. Okay, well, I don't... Tetley oh, tea. tea. thank you. I don't know what Tetley is. It sounds like a disease. Um, Are you kidding me that you don't have Tetley tea in the I don't, United States? Well, we may, but I don't drink it. Oh, it's a British thing. It's not even a Canadian okay, thing. Okay, then, then, no, I drink Stash. Stash tea is based out of Portland, Oregon. And so we get Stash, uh -huh. which is fantastic. So Interesting. We have Seattle's best coffee in our stores. Sure, yeah. Do you do you even drink Seattle's best there? Well, I'm I'm aware of it. I don't drink it. Yeah, S SBC, oh, okay. Seattle's best coffee. I yeah, think they were bought yeah. by uh, they were bought by um, uh, what's that big one that everybody? The best of Seattle? No, uh -huh. no, no. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I have no idea. It's not Lincoln Brewster. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> It's sad because oh, it's every corner. There's one of them on every corner. Uh, They're not. They weren't bought by Starbucks. Starbucks. Thank you. Good lord, I couldn't remember Starbucks, oh, okay. which is probably not a bad thing because. Uh, but no, my nephew works for Starbucks. Yeah, no, SBC Seattle's Best was bought by Starbucks, and um, they, Starbucks owns okay. a bunch of those little um, smaller brands. 
But anyway, so yeah. so you interviewed Norm Stockton, a bass player who's played with many folks and perhaps best known for his playing with Lincoln Brewster. Yeah, and <laughs> he's not just the bass player, and we talk about that. He's not just like the guy that stands in the back who's quiet, because he has his own solo work. He has a website. He has training modules. He's he travels uh, with artists. He travels with Lincoln Brewster. Um, he's going. He goes back years uh, and um, with Lincoln, and he's done a lot of the you know the worship leader, um, worship leader conference circuits, etc. Um, and most recently worked on, I think it's uh, his Lincoln's new album and his instrumental album that's coming out. Um, he was sharing that on social media. Um, so he was brought up by Long and McQuaid Musical Instruments, um, but it was in partnership with his his gear um, company. And he talks about uh, the relationship there. And we actually had a gear rep there uh, for the amplifiers and gear that he uses. Um, and um, I know part of the name, but it's it's an interesting name, uh, something Kruger. Um, I, I sound like a terrible host because I, I knew it then, but I don't know it now. Thankfully, it's covered um, in, the, in the very first like, two minutes of the interview. So Dan doesn't even need to share this right now because he was thoughtful <laughs> enough, considerate enough during the interview to give space to to both of these folks, the, these organizations that um, through their relationship brought Norm to your doorstep to, mm -hmm. to interview him. <laughs> yeah, so we're very thankful for for them for allowing us to have the opportunity to talk to Norm, um, who had jet lag, who was just traveling. And um, why don't we dive right into the interview? I did a sort of a roundtable interview uh, with Norm Stockton and the gang. So, hey, it's Dan from Frequency and. Uh, I'm going to dive right into the interview. Um, you probably just listened to Joe and I talk for about five minutes introing this interview. Um, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to interview Norm Stockton. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. But before I do that, there's a reason why you're here. And that is because Long and McQuaid, I got to get the name right. Long and McQuaid, <laughs> my, uh, there's an edit point for us. <laughs> Long McQuaid, down the hill from uh, where I serve here in Prince Edward Island, um, has Norm Stockton coming to do sort of a, an in-session on bass and techniques and groove. And um, they've been very kind to let me share a few moments with Norm. And uh, who else is, is sponsoring this? We have Steve in the room here. Oh, yeah. Yes. Hi. Hey, everyone. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, the man that makes it work. Uh, yeah. Uh, my name is Steve Das, and uh, I've been... Uh, we've been doing this for a few years now, right, Norm? Mm -hmm. And so kind of the connection with myself, Norm, and Long McQuaid is uh, I work with uh, Yorkville Sound, which is the sister company of Long McQuaid. Mm -hmm. So we are the Canadian distributor for Galen Kruger Bass Amps, which is uh, the company that endorses Norm. Yeah. So uh, we bring in the amps and we sell them to stores across the country, including Long McQuaid. So anytime we can tie in an artist with uh, a company that we sell, we try to put something together and here we are today. That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah, we did Western Canada last year and and uh, Toronto this, area two yeah. years before that. Yeah. Think, yeah, so this is our first stab at the Northeast yes. in the dead of winter. Yes, and we're learning some important <laughs> lessons. Yes, I was going to say it's an interesting time of year to come to the East Coast. So, like three nor'easters in a week. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, we talk about the weather. I mean, what else do we talk about? We're Because we're stuck in snow all the time. Um, yeah. So you had your first experience of a cancellation due to weather in Canada, um, judging from your Facebook feed. Yeah. First ever, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, what do you think of the East Coast? I got to ask that question. Oh, I love it. I, it's It's great. Other than the fact that, you know, losing the event last night was a bit of a bummer, but it's... It's great. I, I love coming up to Canada and this is an area, this is a part of Canada I haven't been to before. So hmm. no, loving great. it. Yeah. Now, yeah, because you live in the West Coast. I do. So any sort of adjustment to, well, you gained time, didn't you, coming here? Uh, my body clock is completely confused. So I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I, did, <laughs> I think I lost time, but uh, yeah, I, I have family in Hawaii and I, I happened to be out there about 24 hours before I left for here. Okay. So Okay. Yeah. My body clock is somewhere in the middle of the Pacific, I think. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm going to dive right into questions. Yeah. They're, they're in random order because I usually don't end up reading my notes. <laughs> um, we started with gear. That was one of my questions. Uh, what led you to that particular gear? Were you, were you approached? Are we allowed to talk about this like this? Did you approach them? Did you like their gear? How did that all work out? The That's a long story. The shorter version is that uh, their artist relations person came by. There's a music industry trade show um, every year, every January in, in Anaheim, California, near where I live. And <clears throat> every Is that NAM, uh, NAM, yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, in the summertime, it's in Nashville. And uh, probably 14 years ago, maybe now, um, their artist relations person came by the booth in Nashville and yeah. was talking about the new stuff. And, you know, at the time I was kind of between uh, amp relationships. And so uh, I ended up checking it out and, being quite shocked actually at how great it sounded. I, right. I knew their stuff from a long time ago and it yeah. was great then, but it was quite different from the sound I was after mm -hmm. and their new stuff was, it just floored me. So yeah, I've been an enthusiastic endorser ever since. Yeah. Awesome. And on now you're a guitar player. We've got to talk about bass guitars. Yeah, yeah. Bass guitar. Yeah. Um, is there a uh, preference when it comes to your basses or do you have all kinds? Um, I am a big time, uh, MTD fan, uh, Michael Tobias design. And, um, as a matter of fact, I'm totally humbled and honored to have a signature model built by Michael mm -hmm. Tobias. And that's the base I'm playing these days. Wow. Um, there, you can go on YouTube and, and check out a clip of, uh, Michael Tobias and his son, Daniel, and me talking about it and kind of demoing some stuff. But, yeah. um, I, so yeah, most of my bases are MTDs. Mm -hmm. Um, but for session stuff, I, I have some other, um, you know, I have 65P, I have an old Hoffner Beetle bass and yeah. a Cali U bass and so some other uh, voices. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, yeah. The, the hashtag on most social media is MTD for life and I'm MTD for life. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And I mean, uh, I noticed you corrected me right away when I said guitar player. No, it's bass guitar player. <laughs> why? The I'm a bass? pretty terrible guitar player, so I, I need oh, to make I that see. clarification. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> why? What led you to bass out of all instruments? You know, I am the youngest of three, and my older brother and older sister were both prodigy level classical musicians when I was a kid. Yeah. And my brother was a uh, classical guitar player, my sister was a classical piano player. And so I wasn't into music at all because for me, it was completely intimidating. They were playing at this pretty extreme level right, right away, you know? And so it wasn't until um, I was a teenager and my brother was by that point playing electric guitar and, and he would frequently say, you know, you should check out the bass. And, you know, he said his quote, I still remember, he said, good guitar players 
or a dime a dozen. Hmm. No offense, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Lincoln Brewster or yeah, anyone exactly. else. <laughs> and he said, but good bass players will always have work. Yeah. And um, I, I, you know, don't necessarily agree with the dime a dozen thing, but there are certainly more plentiful, you know, guitar players are more plentiful. So, um, yeah, I was, I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And then um, when I was in high school, I was really into the Beatles and I'm not quite that old. I was into the Beatles when a lot of my friends weren't. <laughs> and, uh, but Paul McCartney's bass lines, I just remember listening to them going, that's pretty cool. And so at one point I took a couple strings off an acoustic guitar we had laying around and started learning some of Paul's lines. And that was kind of the beginning of the whole thing. Wow. Um, so were there any major influences as, as you got into it besides oh, Paul? Yeah. 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 Um, one of them happens to be a Canadian. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I was an absolute Getty Lee freak for the longest time. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, I lived, breathed, and ate uh, Rush's albums from, uh, let's see if there's Rush fans listening, uh, all the way from Caress of Steel all the way through to uh, probably Power Windows. Wow. There are Rush fans that listen to this <laughs> podcast, and there's Blue Rodeo fans. Actually, there's, yeah. there's a lot of good Canadian bands out there, uh, you know, Brian Adams fans. Um, again, you're getting into the simplified guitar playing when I talk about that, you know, D's and well, I like and, that too. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Whatever works for the song. Exactly. Well, and that sort of leads me to my next question, because obviously you work in the worship realm as well. Mm -hmm. I, I hate using the term work. Um, yeah, I mean, it I is play. part of yeah. what you do. Mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you determine personally locking in a groove in a worship environment versus in a performance environment where everyone's looking at you as opposed to worshiping my overall take on that groove wise probably doesn't change much i'm i'm focused on trying to make the song feel right mm -hmm. for whatever we're trying to convey um as a quick aside by the way mm -hmm. um and i'm not trying to name drop uh, john patatucci is a friend of mine and yeah. and uh a number of years ago, I interviewed him actually for Christian Musician Magazine. Where yes, yep. We were talking earlier about CMS, the conference in the mm -hmm. Northwest. Yeah, Matt Keys and the guys. Right, yeah. yeah. Which, for those of you listening, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go check that out. It's a it's a great event every uh, oh, November. Yeah. I'm actually planning to go this year for the oh, first okay. time ever. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really awesome. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I interviewed John, um, because he's, he's a Christian and he also, uh, you know, whether he's playing with Wayne Shorter or whether he's playing at his church on Sunday morning, um, I was asking him a similar question. He said, well, you know, for him, it's all kind of a vert vertical statement. Yes. And so everything he's doing, he's bringing his, everything he has and offering it vertically, regardless of the situation. And I've really taken that to heart too. I think that's an amazing, yeah, I don't think, you know, oh, I'm going to, really bring it now because you know it's this context or that context i feel like i'm supposed to be light and salt regardless and so i'm going to bring my best to whatever it is yeah yeah so essentially god's called you to do what you're doing you you you're giving it back to him yeah so there's a difference i guess between embellishment and expressiveness yeah and well and it, i'm sorry uh i'm kind of jet lagged so i'm That's sort okay. of stream of consciousness but uh specifically in terms of like how you know, how busy I'm going to play or how, if I'm going to lay back to me, I actually feel like the context is going to dictate that, um, primarily musically, actually, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Abel Boreal, um, amazing bass player plays a lot in, you know, he played for Ron Canoli and a bunch of, uh, 
big worship situations. Yeah. Yeah. And if you were to transcribe what Abe plays on some of those cannoli recordings, you would have a black sheet of paper, oh, wow. lots of notes. Yeah. yeah. But it was working in that context. He was playing appropriate to that context. And so whether I'm playing on a Sunday morning, you know, sometimes if when I was playing with Lincoln all those years, um, salvation is here. That bass line is very involved, oh, yeah. but it works in the context of that tune. That yep. tune is this bombastic kind of thing, right? Well, and his styling is is that way. I mean, he's the guitar solo dude. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like you almost expect that with a Lincoln Brewster concert. But if I played a Salvation is Here style bass line on Today is the Day or Everlasting God, that wouldn't go over. It'd be weird, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm trying to always play appropriate to the context and supporting what the song's trying to say. Mm -hmm. How would you say, what would you say um, was sort of the link that brought you the gigs or the, you know, because a lot of music industry is is just, you know, plugging away and being there and doing things. Um, what was sort of the, the first time you were brought into a prof the professional realm, right? say in Christian music specifically? Well, um, I was, well, first of all, I, I get asked a lot, you know, what was my strategy? And um, there was really no strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a firm believer that God's going to open doors where I'm supposed to go, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I knock on doors and if they don't open, I don't try to kick them down. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, my life, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that God's plans for me are much better than my plans for me. Mm -hmm. um, that said, uh, I don't think I've ever had anything happen professionally for me where I auditioned and did that. Now there are people that do, but that's, that's not been my experience. Everything I've done is people recommending me. Right. And, um, probably, yeah, that kind of goes back to the earliest days when I was playing in a church in San Diego, San Diego, California. And, um, we had a, artist named Paul Clark who came in from Kansas city, yep. uh, not far from Olay. Yeah. And, um, and he ended up, I worked with him and then I worked with an artist that he had worked with. And eventually they recommended me to a company called Maranatha music that was doing this, these training events all oh, over yeah. North yeah. America. And that just led to, you know, Oh, maybe I should have some resources to leave with these people that, you know, are in my classes. And that led to this instructional thing, which I never really sought to do, but yeah. it's been a huge blessing. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's just kind of, I'm walking along and God is dropping stuff. Well, when <laughs> you enter in through Maranatha music, I mean, I remember that'd be the nineties when it was really big. And yeah. I got in around 97. Yeah. They had the book and the CD and basically every church bought it. Yeah. Every piano player wanted to learn it. And, um, I mean, it was, it was clean and it was tight. Um, definitely not what modern worship would be today. Yeah. Um, it was a stepping stone too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways, sometimes we're going back to that, uh, the simplicity and the, the, the acoustic vibe. Do you ever play an acoustic bass? Uh, I have an acoustic, um, bass guitar, okay. a Kala U bass, which is, um, we may have one at the shop tonight. I don't know. Do you, are you a Kala dealer? Uh, we are. Yes. Okay. Hmm. We don't have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're great. Yeah, they're they're basically, um, they look like an ukulele, but yep. they sound like an upright bass. Wow. So I, I don't play upright. I gave myself a really bad case of tendonitis when I first started playing bass. So an upright bass is absolutely bad news for me. Yeah. But yeah. so that Kala is actually pretty amazing because it yep. can kind of get in that range. But 
you know, it's the size of an ukulele. So, <laughs> well, and you you just sort of hinted at uh, sort of your endeavors. Now, I'm going to dive right into that because mm-hmm. I don't want to keep you too long. Yeah, artofgroove.com. Yes. Was that just like people like I watched one of your videos, your intro video, actually, where you're saying people kept saying we want something. So it was more driven by your fans and people that just want to learn bass and don't really know where to go. Or was that like a personal ambition that you had to start something or both? No, it was um, I had the instructional video. They were originally VHS tapes. Yeah, they ended up yeah. being DVDs, and they're currently distributed by Alfred Publishing. But they were for many years. I was just kind of uh, self-releasing them and taking them out, out on the road. Actually, I I still have a suitcase full of like them grooves, right now. Grooves for heaven. Grooves for heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Grooving for heaven. And um, but uh, a while back, I just I had so many people asking for lessons, like one-on-one lessons, mm-hmm. and my schedule then and largely now doesn't accommodate that very well. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking, well, if I could put my private teaching cur- curriculum online and make mm-hmm. it dirt cheap yeah. to where somebody, regardless of the geography of the situation, could yeah. study with me, you know, that would be great. And so that was kind of the impetus for that. So yeah. um, so short time frame for you, cheaper for everyone else, but more people can download it. Exactly. So therefore, it's as if you're able to do private sessions financially. Right. But you only have to do it once. And it saves people a lot of money. I mean, yeah. You can subscribe to that website a lot less expensively than I. Yeah, it was like for something, <laughs> a, a lesson. Yeah, or you said we're like subscribed for $9.99 a month. And yeah. 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 So that's almost like, you know, we, we have Patreon people, people that donate to us just to keep us going. Um, and we're not really literally anything. I mean, people will, will, um, put their money where, where their desires are. And so, yeah, I mean, if I was, um, like a solid, like my son's 14 and he's really wanting to do bass, he's playing my Fender P bass and his arms like this. Oh, wow. Out. And good uh, for him, but he's loving it. So to be able to point him to something like that, where I'm not going to be able to guide him, or pay $30 a session for X amount. Sorry to Long McQuaid, because I know they do training. <laughs> um, not everybody can do that, though. So to yeah. be able to go online, which is pretty easy now, to be able to do that is is amazing. Um, so that's, that is residual income, in a sense, because you don't have to be doing it, and the money can still come in. Um, people can stay connected to you because of it, because they get to interact with you. They get to replay it, I think is the coolest thing. Because if yeah. you learn something and they're like, oh, man, what did, what was that again? And then you're gone. Right. So they can just keep <laughs> replaying and replaying. So yeah. that's that's great. Um, now, you've done other releases. I wrote some of them down. You you wrote a book? Yes. The Worship Base Book. Base uh, exp- Espresso. Espresso and the Art of Groove. Yes. I, it was <laughs> like chicken scratch. I didn't want to get it wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, that was uh, for Hal Leonard. And um that came out uh, probably two and a half, three years ago. Okay. And um, that was it, intended to be just sort of a compilation of probably 10 years of articles I'd written for Christian Musician Magazine. Yeah. And, um, but as I started putting it together, I was like, oh man, I need to update some of the stuff. I need to kind of supplement it with other things. And so there's quite a bit of new content there. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's in a series that Hal Leonard put out a while back for uh, worship musicians. Okay. Now, do you, you're on the road now, so you're obviously mm-hmm. on the move. Uh, you, you have different dates and you're, you're overseas a lot. Mm-hmm. I think you have a gig in Denmark 
according to your calendar or something like that. Um, and Hawaii, I think, because you yeah. <laughs> got family there. Um, but are you in in regular concert rotation with other artists still, or have you taken a step back from live and doing more of your session stuff? Or I was in in regular rotation with um, several artists for a while. I was playing with Bobby Kimball from Toto and Bill Champlin from oh, wow. Chicago. Nice. Um, and uh, but yeah, I'm now. I'm working with Lincoln Brewster still on his first instrumental CD. And okay. it's been it's been a long time in the works because our schedules weren't lining up. But um, I'm really excited about the project. Uh, for those of you who know um, Vinny Kaliuta played drums, and he's a monstrous, monstrous <laughs> player. And uh, the I'm really excited for the project to, to come out. It's it's I'm really proud of it. Um, but uh, so I've been up in Sacramento uh, working with Lincoln quite a bit on that. But uh, in terms of road work for the last few years, it's been mostly um, clinics and sort of concerts on my own. And uh, and then I'm in the middle of pre-production for this new project of mine called Grooves and Sushi. And oh, it's yes. going to be live tracking of four different ensembles and um, including, you know, Greg Bissonette on drums and Vinny mm-hmm. Kaliuta, Chris Coleman from Beck, uh, so it's there's some amazing players and it, yeah. it should be fun, but it's kind of all consuming right now. Like on the drive out here to Charlottetown, I was, you know, these guys were having a good time up front and I was in the back with headphones on just trying to crank away on pre-production stuff. So it's, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's coming out and it's, it's going to be fun. And once that's done, then I'm hoping to take the band out again and, and start doing some stuff. Yeah. Nice. I like playing live for sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, oftentimes the bassist is not the soloist you know the you know usually like a lead guy will do a sidebar project or whatever but to have a bassist that basically is has his own thing happening and then you dive into a tour with somebody like lincoln um but you have so many other side jobs on the go i don't know of a bass player that i've ever had a chance to meet that has so many side jobs going that it that's your career is Hmm. is you are a bassist and that's the career. It's not just, I'm part of a band. I'm part of a tour. I'm part of session recording. Oftentimes the basis is sort of the behind the scenes. Nobody really notices them guys. They just, you know, <laughs> think of like you too. And you just, you know, um, no, it's like the mysterious role in the band. <laughs> so um, I find it interesting that um, you've broken the mold at least from my perception, um, you're on your own, you're able to tour, you're, you're able to dive in and out of musical opportunities. Um, which then leads me to my next question is styling out of all the styles you could do. There's reggae, there's funk, there's what would be a preference or it does it depend on who you're playing with? I, I personally like any good music. So, um, I suppose if I have a sweet spot, I'm I'm primarily a funk R&B rock player. Yeah. But yeah. I love playing Latin. I love playing. I'm really influenced by West African music. I mm. there's so much good stuff. I love. I like jazz. So um, to me, if it's done well, yeah, I I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that the type of music determines which bass you use because there's four or five, six. I mean, the options are endless. Um, as if there's somebody who's looking to buy a bass, you know, somebody that's new, 
Would you recommend you go to Long and McQuaid? Long and McQuaid, yes, for sure. <laughs> but also, um, would you recommend that they lock in the, the type of like based on the type of music they're? I'm just playing devil's advocate. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't go out and buy a specific bass for a specific type of music. But would you recommend four string for beginners, for example? Um, I personally am always advocating a five, yeah, because it's not that hard to learn, and having a low B is an amazingly cool thing mm -hmm. when you want it. Yeah. And, uh, if you start on a four, then every time you're playing a five, uh, I kind of think of it as, you know, somebody built an addition between you and the rest of your house. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to kind of ha have that be kind of confusing. Yeah. So to me, if somebody's serious about bass, I'm always thinking, yeah, you know, five is going to be the best balance for you, you know? Yeah. Um, but, Otherwise, yeah, I mean, the music, the style will somewhat dictate the type of bass. If you're if you're wanting to play blues, you probably don't need a six necessarily. Right. right? It, it, in certain it's not right. But in certain contexts, uh, if you pull a six string bass out of a gig bag, people are immediately going to have an attitude about it. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're one of those. guys. <laughs> yes. You know? And so. um and I'm a lefty, so there's only one at every store. <laughs> I, I actually, on my records and, you know, for, for solos and melodies and chords and stuff, I, I actually have a seven. And um, for, a, for a brief time back in the Maranatha music days, yep. I was going to try to make that my main axe. And I, I was thinking, okay, you know, because then it's all there. I'll, I'll have it at my disposal. I don't need to play them all, all the time, but because the yeah. four-string bass is still part of the seven, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, But after about two weeks, it was like, why on earth am I trying to do this? You know, <laughs> muting is just a nightmare. And, and well, you, to play, and it's, you don't have really huge no, hands. No. I mean, how in the world would you accomplish that on a regular basis? Yeah. It, well, there are people that do it. And, um, yeah. but even I'm telling you that first couple of weeks, I encountered so much ridicule, you know, <laughs> Oh, you, you and your boat or, Oh, you and your aircraft carrier. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess maybe I just decided that it wasn't it wasn't worth it on a number of different levels. Um, however, if, if you remember uh, American Idol, Ruben Stutter, do you remember oh, that yeah, guy? Yeah. One of his final performances, uh, the projection behind him was this shot that almost looked like an F-14 going across the top of an aircraft carrier. Yeah. That was my seven string. <laughs> a little known tidbit. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, as we wrap up, because I know you got to get on to a gig, you got to get on to uh, the session here. Um, what would be the the most unique opportunity you've had as a bass player to play venue or people you play with or or just experience in general? Is there something that stands out to you over the years? Um. Wow. Yeah, there have been some really humbling and amazing opportunities. Um, I think, uh, I know it's a tough question because you could have many. Yeah. Um, shortly after nine 11, I was part of a team that went and led worship in the heart of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. That st stands out as a fairly, uh, heavy duty time. Um, playing the national anthem at various you know, large sporting events. That's always been kind of fun. And especially gets, in the U S gets the blood flowing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 In the U S it's a big, it's a bigger deal. I think than, than here in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Every sporting event in the U S is big. Number one, you can go to a high school football game and 20,000 people show up here. 
we want them to live stream it because we're too lazy to go. <laughs> um, yeah, sports is definitely a lot bigger than the U.S. Yeah. or in England or other places. Yeah, and playing, uh, there was actually another really fun one for me was um, Lincoln played this uh, large festival um, called the Harvest Crusade at um, Angel Stadium of Anaheim. And that's sort of, that's the gigantic Enormodome in my neighborhood, you know, yeah. in my town. Yeah. So when I drive by, there's kind of like, that was a fun yeah, we did it twice, and it yeah. was like that was a fun couple of gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's certain. Well, and I look back. I mean, I listened to music in the '80s, like Depeche Mode, and yeah, you know, and they played the. I think it was the Rose Bowl, and it was like the largest concert I had ever seen. Yeah. Um, now I only watched the video, but I'm like, I want to be David Gahan one day because you know, never let me down with everyone waving their hands, and there's probably a <laughs> hundred something thousand people. Um, have Have you ever? Um, had to, to sort of, um, this is sort of a sidebar question to everything, but, um, when, when you're working in a worship environment, um, is it difficult to manage when, when you've played, um, things of note, um, you know, there's this sort of celebritized version of artistry and musicianship. Do you ever find it awkward, um, when you go to a, a CMS or a conference where you're like, Ooh, you're Norm Stockton, the best bass player in the world. And does it ever get awkward or are people usually pretty chill with you like at NAM or other places like that? Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, in terms of like the celebritization, the um, I, I don't really, I don't, I don't entertain that too much anyway. You know, I, I yeah. pretty, I'm, I've uh, been doing this long enough that I can kind of deflect and sort of let's, let's talk, you know, yeah, hang. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah, it's not been too much of an issue. I think uh, I'm aware of what a grace case I am. So for me, I, I don't struggle with that very much because I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, the reason I even asked that question, because when I, when I always go to an artist's website, I'm always curious to know if they're a Christian, mm -hmm. is it noticeable? And it definitely was. I mean, on the why, why I do what mm. I do. You had some, you know, you had written down. I actually wrote wrote a note here. I just can't, I don't think I can find it right now. Um, you wrote a, a specific uh, quotation. Um, oh, here it is. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps to do my part to inspire all creation to groove for heaven. Mm. is one of the quotes on the website. And I thought, that's an interesting perspective. So you're you're doing what you do with the whole purpose of pointing people in that direction. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, that was just one of your sidebar quotes from, yeah. from you. Um, yeah. But, you know, I appreciate the fact that um, you don't change who you are. Um, you play with, whether it's Christian, non-Christian, you're, you just love music. Um, and sometimes we put a Christian label on something as if it's giving assent to it in a Christian environment when uh, music is music. Um, God's created it all, you know, um, so uh, as I, I close, is there anything um, that you want us to point people to, um, where to go as far as website, social media, uh, so they can contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you. It's an honor hey, to be it's an honor for me. With you, you and the guys today. Yeah. Um, yeah, my website's normstockton.com. Um, and uh, there, let's see, artofgroove.com is my instructional site. Yep. Um and GroovesAndSushi.com is uh, the site for the new, the new project. All oh, the new you project. Can, yeah, read up about that. Great. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, 
all of those. Um, Facebook, unfortunately, limits how many friends you can have. So I, I have a fan page. Mm-hmm. I never like that term, but yeah, I have, yes. a, I have a page that they call a fan page that I interact with similarly. So, yeah. um, but uh, Instagram for sure. So awesome. come say hi. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. Thank you very I much. I appreciate it. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Dan, despite the lackluster introduction that you gave Norm, it was a great interview. And I really appreciate the time you took to coordinate that and to wrangle everybody together. Um, and it's a great interview. Well, and, and Norm was very eloquent. He probably could have could have gone into a lot more detail, um, but for the sake of time, I literally stole him, um, you know, within a half an hour of him having to, to do training and to dive into what he was going to do next. You know, he's like drinking an energy drink uh, with me <laughs> before we got moving. And, uh, but I'm very thankful to my friends along McQuaid and, and, uh, them coordinating this for me. Uh, we have a good relationship with them, with our, with church ministry. I mean, I think we do a good job of keeping them busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, oftentimes they're behind the scenes. They never get any of the glory, but oftentimes they have to give everyone the gear. So, That's right. yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate them doing that. And again, we're a nonprofit here. We don't make any money off endorsements or anything like that. So uh, we can say that freely. Um, but yeah, it was a great interview and uh, we're going to have to talk to him again. Maybe him and Lincoln, I know he's pretty engaging, but he's busy uh, to talk about the instrumental project. Cause how many people are doing instrumentals? Not, not very I, many. Well, but I mean, Lincoln is known for guitar That's solos. True. Yeah. So it just, sort of makes sense. But I, what I know of some of the concert footage I saw, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk much about it in the interview, obviously, but, um, you know, they all take turns, you know, sort of in the jazz mm-hmm. world where an artist, each instrument takes a turn. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of that in like, they're savvy enough to play that way. Um, and that's why I was saying that Norm is, you know, he's, he's, he's a front man as much as he is a simple bass player for other, for worship music. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They're great guys. And hopefully we get to chat with them again soon. Excellent. And, awesome. and, and, uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to record the next episode because we never get to hang out together like this and it's going to be Grant Norsworthy. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to Grant- cut this off now because I have to pick up my son in 10 minutes. <laughs> there you go. So. Well, bye for now, Joe. <laughs> Check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And that goes down, you call Google+. <laughs> that was terrible, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> we should almost do it no, again. No, let's not, I'm going to leave it just, just the way it is.